there are two tales waiting for you, told one after the other by an odd set of two. So prepare yourself, dear one, because this is Drops of Darkness. I am Stranger, and I tell only fantasies. Whenever your world has a grip on your throat, I am there waiting to unleash the monsters that sleep in my mind so that they may remind you that you have sharp teeth and claws of your own. This story is simply titled Trapped, but it comes with a warning. I may deal in matters of fiction, but art imitates life. Never forget that sometimes monsters are just people and some of the worst are disguised as the ones who are supposed to help you. If you are uncomfortable with depictions of medical trauma, I advise you, dear one, to move on to the next story. There is no peace for you here. The straps were uncomfortable, but the ambulance had an interesting diamond-shaped pattern on the ceiling. It was nice, I thought, to have something to look at. The EMT leaned over, blocking my view, and I remember there was something I should be worried about. She asked me how I was doing, so I said fine, even though I doubted she could hear me through the oxygen mask or over the sirens. I'm pretty sure she just wanted to make sure I was still lucid. But still, the fine didn't feel like a lie, which was odd, given the circumstances. I'm usually such an anxious person. I guess, though, if there was a place where someone like me could feel perfectly safe for a change, it would be surrounded by trained emergency medical professionals, with all sorts of shiny, life-saving tools and gadgets within arm's reach. I could have a heart attack, right now, just for fun, and they'd probably have it sorted out before we even got to the hospital. I mean, I wasn't actually fine, though. Not like they cart people around in ambulances just for kicks, is it? But shock is a funny thing. It doesn't keep you from feeling your body breaking and caving in with you still inside it. It just makes you not care. At least for a little while. There was the jostle of breaks, and soon I'd be staring at ugly white ceiling panels. But for a few windy moments between the ambulance and the ER, I at least got a good view of the stars. Something was wrong. I was remembering now. I started feeling cold long before being wheeled through the chilly night air. The sky was beautiful, though, and I was where I needed to be. For once, I wasn't worried. The lights inside the ER were blinding. I tried to shut my eyes, but each time I did, someone started shouting at me. How annoying. I just wanted to sleep. I didn't realize how much pain I was in until it started to fade whenever my eyes were closed only to be brought back even worse each time I had to force them open. Soon it was everywhere again. Like bacon in a hot pan, I fried on that gurney, crackling with extra pops of pain each time we slammed through another set of swinging doors. Fuck if they were going to convince me to keep my eyes open against that. So ignoring the raised voices, I let them close and embraced the drift into the comfortable darkness. It was warm there, and quiet, and I wasn't shaking anymore. I was rewarded with a needle for my rebellion. 
I didn't feel it go in, but I felt what it dumped into my vein. It spread through my arm like liquid ice, but the sizzling soon cooled. Something was clamped onto my finger and a beeping sound began somewhere behind my head. A new voice asked me my name, but my tongue started to taste like old pennies and I didn't feel much like answering. The layers of chemical smells of the freshly cleaned hospital room clashed with the metallic taste in my mouth and produced a nauseating wave of fresh hell. I knew if I tried to answer her, it would not be my name that came out. As the painkiller spread, the darkness pulled back, leaving me nothing to fade into, just uncomfortably cut off from my surroundings. So I opened my eyes and was greeted by an older woman, a nurse, with a cloud of brassy blonde hair and glasses that hung around her neck on a brightly beaded chain. Based on the smug look on her face, I assumed she was the one wielding the needles. If she'd been waiting me out, she'd won. I knew I should have been grateful, considering how quickly I was remembering exactly why I was there. Behind me, the heart monitor beeped faster. She might have tucked the mind-ending waves of pain under the drugs, but that just left more room for reality and all the fear that came with it. I tried moving my legs under the thin blanket, but there was nothing, not even a twitch. New people came in, all of them talking, and none of them to me. They took turns deciding my state, my symptoms, and my chances. As if they didn't know full well, I could hear them. I closed my eyes again, but instead of drifting away, I noticed how heavy my chest felt and wondered how long it had been since my hands and arms started shaking again, or how long it had been since I'd been able to breathe. An alarm on a different monitor went off, and the amount of people in the room quickly doubled. I didn't know when my clothes had been replaced for that faded hospital gown, but I soon lost that too as I watched myself suffocate under a trembling body that I could no longer move, and the countless gloved hands that shifted its limbs however they needed. It made sense that no one saw the needle slip out of place, and it did not take long for the chill of the pain meds to bleed out of my arm. I always figured that when you die, if there was pain, it would stop. So you can imagine my disappointment when that wasn't the case. But I had to have died. When everything started to hurt again, especially like that, I know I wished for it. And why else could no one hear me when I begged them to do something? At the foot of the bed, there was a man dressed in navy blue scrubs, wearing a surgeon's cap and a white mask that covered everything except his eyes, which crinkled from his hidden smile. He finished his story of that morning's golf game with his colleague before sending everyone else out of the room. No, I wasn't dead. I was something much, much worse. At first I was no one, just a name on a chart. But the moment I started breaking in a way that I wasn't supposed to, I became a burden, an untimely nuisance to this man. He could hear me just fine. And that was the problem. He signed a line on a clipboard, sighed and set it down on the foot of my bed, before he too walked out of the room. It's funny. 
I figured someone left in a cold, strange-smelling room, with only a half-buttoned hospital gown between them and the world, would scream, or at least sob as they tried and failed to writhe in their agony. But I just stared at the patternless ceiling and wondered why I was alone. The OR was even colder. I heard them say there was no time, and the morphine in my IV would be plenty. One of them asked if I could feel it when they touched my bare ribs, and in a moment of hope, I said yes. We're going to get started. I couldn't see who said it, but I knew it was the man in dark blue. The scalpel was cold at first, but it warmed up quickly once the blood started flowing. The clamps that held the incision open, though, they stayed colder for much longer. Eyes opened or closed, crying or not, it didn't matter. It still became hard to breathe when my liver was pushed into my lungs. The surgeon found what he was looking for, and I was deemed stable, with the operating room air still flooding my open torso. Over the soft thrumming sound of my body shaking against the cold metal table, I heard a door open and shut, and someone else took over closing me up. The next morning, I sat on the wheeled stool in my hospital room and spun myself with my feet. I tried not to think about the night before, about the man in dark blue who never showed me his face, how he could be standing right next to me and I wouldn't know it was him. I tried not to think how much it hurt to shower and how little I cared because it meant I could wash the blood and iodine fingerprints off my stomach. I tried to not think about how I saw stars again when I woke up on the wet tile. The nurse came in and smiled when she saw me up and out of bed. When she asked how I was, I lied, terrified that the crack in my voice would give me away. But it was fine. She wasn't listening anyway. Hello everyone. In between stories, we like to highlight a cause that is worth our collective attention. For February, we decided to highlight Renew as a Crew. This one is a little different, but no less important, as this fan-led volunteer group is leading a massive coordinated effort to reverse the unexpected cancellation of the critically acclaimed show, Our Flag Means Death. Stories matter, and this series' unapologetic exploration of identity through its queer storyline and ethnic diversity has made countless people feel seen, heard, and understood. To find out how you can support this movement working to prove that diverse stories are both wanted and needed in mainstream media, you can learn more at renewasacrew.com or through the link on our website at dropsofdarkness.com. Now, back into the shadows we go. I am someone, and I tell only truth. Whenever something slithers through the barrier between worlds, I am there, not to stop them, but to watch them and remind you of the countless terrors your kind has survived all on their own. I was vacationing in Wales one weekend with a man who was my fiancé at the time of this story. 
We were staying at one of the older hotels along the beach, and since they were almost full, we checked into a room with two single beds and a shared bathtub. Our room faced the sea and had large windows that were wide open during the night, the sheer curtains billowing as the sea breeze blew into the room. Each bed was covered with several blankets, as well as a quilt and coverlet tucked under the mattress, so when you were in bed, you were tucked in snug and warm from the night air. I remember feeling tired from a long but lovely day at the beach, sunning and swimming. After dinner, my fiancé and I went to our room, then we both fell into a deep sleep. I woke up during the night and had this unsettling feeling, not quite sure why. The room was quiet, except for the drip from the faucet on the small sink in the room. I looked around the room and could see the curtains moving from the wind. The room was dimly lit as the moon was casting some light into the room. I looked over at my fiancé in the other single bed, who was soundly still asleep. Suddenly, that sensation people describe as frozen or paralyzed with fear came over me and I also could not utter a single sound. I struggled to get my breath as I saw this white, filmy figure of a woman emerge and approach my bed. I knew my fiancé was next to me, only a few feet away. I knew I was awake and not dreaming, as every detail of the room was lit by the moonlight. I knew I just needed to scream and my fiancé would hear, but I couldn't get out a sound. I held onto the covers under my chin for dear life as the filmy white figure seemingly floated to the bottom of the bed. I could feel the covers being pulled from the bottom of the bed and out from under the mattress. I felt I knew she or it wanted to hurt me, to smother me, but I couldn't get a sound out. Finally, a small sound escaped from my throat and I kept gasping and trying to scream till enough came out that my fiancé heard me and jumped out of bed and rushed over to my side. The filmy figure disappeared, but I was shaking and crying from fright. My fiancé said that it was just a bad dream, and I almost believed him, till I saw all the covers from my bed lying in a heap at the bottom of the bed. It is impossible to pull them out from under the mattress beneath you, by yourself while they are tucked under it. We tried over and over again to recreate it. Even though it was a small single bed for the two of us, I slept in the same bed as my fiancé the rest of the night. The next day we were at breakfast with other guests and hotel staff when I told them my story about the previous night. Most everyone who heard it believed it really happened, and they said the hotel was haunted and was the scene of a great fire that broke out at the turn of the century. Someone said, maybe the filmy white spectral may have pulled the covers from your bed because she thought your bed or you were on fire. Maybe. To this day, all I know is, I know what I saw and how it felt, and I know I was in the presence of something unearthly. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Drops of Darkness, which is written, voiced, and produced by Anodyne Vaughn and Cameron Helquike. If you enjoyed your drift into the shadows, help keep the stories alive by sharing the show, 
leaving a review, and if you really want to earn the favor of these dark storytellers, tether yourself to their world by tapping subscribe. If you have a true paranormal story of your own that you'd like to be read by someone, you can make the offering to submissions at dropsofdarkness.com or through the form on our website. Until next time, dear one, and remember, when the darkness looks your way, hold its gate.